Inspired by the 1880s, boldness and refinement come together to create Bibb and Tucker bourbon. Aged a minimum of six years, Bibb and Tucker produce unparalleled smoothness, making it easy to enjoy from the nose to the back of your mouth. Head on over to bibbandtuckerbourbon.com to find a retailer and raise a glass to celebrate. Got mine poured, and I'm celebrating my guest. Mr. Anthony Colbert, also known as The Plug, is part of the Black and Brown podcast, one of the fastest-growing podcasts available. It's where three friends explore the world of whiskey and share their viewpoints. The Plug is a contributor to Bourbon Zeppelin magazine. He's a former U.S. Air Force veteran. He's now in New England with his family, and I am ever so grateful to have him and have a conversation with him. This is JLP number 15 with the plug, Anthony Colbert of the Black and Brown Podcast. Mr. Colbert, how are you, sir? Good, fam. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, my man. Just want to make sure I got this level going. Okay. Right? Good. That all good. That all good, man. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yo, I appreciate you reaching out, man. I'm kind of nervous, you know, with the requests because I've never been solo nah, on the mic. Don't be nervous at all. This is just a simple little, little conversation because I love your podcast, man. Thank you. I love the podcast you do with you, with you, with you and your homies. It's 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 absolutely fantastic, and it's refreshing, actually. Yeah, we kind of we kind of came up with that uh, idea when we went down to Kentucky earlier. This it, it seems like a lifetime ago, really, because we just went yeah. to Kentucky in March at the beginning of the month. Okay. And uh, my cousin set that trip up. I mean, is it okay to tell the story? Are we recording right now? Are we no, good? Go for it. Yeah. Do yeah. What you want, so, man. so my cousin William, the the guy we refer to as the Silverback, you know, he set that trip uh-huh. up. So we went down at the beginning of the month, and it was his second trip to Kentucky. So it was six of us, and you know, it's always a hard time when you get six dudes together who don't know each other. Like uh-huh. I, I knew my cousin. My cousin knew Delvin. I knew my friend Joe from the Air Force and Joe's brother. And then they had another friend named uh, Jeremiah, who we refer to in the podcast as the prophet. So all six of us met in North Carolina and we drove from there to Kentucky in a car. So you imagine it was something like the the wow. trip from, yeah, get on the bus. You know what I'm saying? When they were going across country to Washington. <laughs> so we didn't really know how, how the dynamic was going to be. And of course, we were going to be standing in one house in Kentucky. We didn't know how things were going to go. It's very hard to get uh, grown men in a house or a vehicle for that amount of time and kind of gel together. So we kind of all hit it off. And uh, over the course of the three days, I brought up the idea of saying, you know, I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to talk about bourbon because I recently started writing uh, for Bourbon Zeppelin, which is an online publication. Yeah. So I write a, a monthly column there about a new bourbon head getting into the bourbon game. So we we had thrown that idea out, out around the table, talking about it, you know, going to, to various distilleries. We had talked about the idea and I thought nothing of it. I thought, yeah, they would just hear me out. You know, he's crazy or whatever. You know, it sounds like yeah, a great yeah. idea. You know, one of those things. But when we got back, Delvin kept texting me and emailing me. He's like, hey, are you serious? If you're going to do it, I'd like to be down. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing it. And we were we were kicking ideas around. So finally, when I was in Charlotte over Easter, he was like, listen, I book studio time. We're just going to go in there and do it. And that was what became the first episode, how we compared uh, Buffalo Trace to the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. And that was probably that was probably our most organic episode because we were all in the studio together and we yeah. had no script. And we just talked about the bottles, what we had experienced, what we liked and how we compared it to hip hop. And that kind of became the nucleus of how we approach our podcast. OK. 
Yep. Okay. That's I mean that's fantastic, man. I mean that sounds like I I, I do another podcast myself with um uh, two bros podcast. We've talked about that also mm-hmm. about the possibility of your crew hooking up with uh, with me and my brother and 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 doing something together. But that's pretty much how that started. Me and my brother was sitting in the bar. Yep. And I said, man, I'm thinking about doing the podcast. And he's like, oh snap, I'm thinking about doing the podcast. And he had some equipment. So that's said, awesome. Okay, fine, let's do it. We yeah. sat in his backyard, do it, and that became uh, number one. And it's and it's it's a lot of fun, man. I, I just I just enjoy doing. It. You know, it really is, man. When you think about it, like so. So I got a degree in communications when I graduated college, and and my matriculation was a bit late because I went in the military and taking classes bit by bit over the course mm-hmm. of being in the military. I finally matriculated when I left here in Connecticut. So when I graduated degree in communications, I was like, what can I do with this degree? Right. How can I chase this path? And I interned for um, Jason Jackson, who's now the reporter for the Miami Heat. He had a show here in Connecticut when he left ESPN called The Jack Show. So I was an intern on that. So I got to see how the inner workings were. And I thought maybe radio or something like that. But nowadays you can basically make your own career path if you have like the equipment like your brother has. Right. So so when I thought about that and when we talked about the podcast and how it started, Like I tell the fellas, I was like, you know, the response we're getting from the people like yourself and followers on Instagram, it's like we kind of fill the void we were looking for because there were no really black voices in bourbon. Not that that's a bad thing. You know, they might have been there all along, but they weren't getting the recognition they needed. So with us stepping into the arena from our perspective, it's kind of fun for us. And it's also refreshing to get the feedback from people saying, oh, I really never thought about it this way. I never really looked at it this way or I never really... Mm -hmm thought about how to seek the bottles out or from a black perspective. And, you know, we're not trying to be a black podcast per se, but that's the lane we're filling. That's kind of where we're at, you know? Well, I mean, in that regard, man, I got to, I got to thank COVID for this because it's, it's, you know, with all this time on, on everybody's hands, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. You know, as I started looking, I didn't realize how many People, black people in particular, yeah. were involved in bourbon and right. cigars and wine. And all of a sudden, all of this stuff became just like so approachable now. Yeah, it's true. That's true. I mean, one of our followers, um, and you know, we got so many in the first few episodes and trying to go through all the comments and categorize everybody and keep track of them. She was a, she was a female, but she has a collective of other females who are cigar smokers. And I thought that was just so dope because they're in bourbon and they're in cigars and you never put it in terms of like, Oh, this is too masculine or this is too feminine. I mean, it's something, it's something you like. It's something you enjoy. And I think it's refreshing for somebody to get on and say, Hey, you know, this is what we do. We get together. We do trips. We do socials and you just bring that to the forefront and everybody can embrace it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But I see you put something up to your lips. So what you well, so what you sipping on uh, tonight? Okay, so so what I what I'm sipping on, I've been lucky enough to be where I'm located. I've got a nice uh, bourbon. I don't know if they're called sommeliers or you know, um, That's not something like that. what their term is. Yeah. So anyway, she she does barrel picks where she's at with her store. So what I have tonight is uh, my Putnam Ride that I refer to all the time. Can you okay, see that there? Okay. Yep. And this was her barrel pick, and that comes in at 122 proof. But I also blend it. She blends it with the Michter's US one. Okay. So I've got a blend of the two. So that's what I'm sipping nice. on tonight. Yeah, we. I like, um, the I like the Michter's. Never had, never had the pup. I never had the, uh, never had the pup one. Well, I, I grabbed a, um, I grabbed a Bib and Tucker. Yep, yep. I've seen that. I never had the Bib and Tucker. Grabbed the Bib and Tucker. I saw it. It looks. I mean, the bottle makes it look a little bit more like you, you know, got some rare gold in here or something like yeah. that. But this is a. Uh, what it's a uh, uh, 92 proof, so it's 46 percent 
it's a six year old, but it's a, it's a good synth. It gives, it gives you a good, almost like a copper, almost like a copper look to it. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yours looks a little bit deeper. Kind of the same, yeah. And I think that's yeah. from the mix. But yeah, the Putnam is it's kind of funny because I try to find um, when I wrote an article for Bourbon Zeppelin, I was trying to get bourbons that are in here in New England, in the New England mm-hmm. area, and this one is out of Boston, a distillery right in Dorchester, I believe called the Boston Distillery, and it's a rye whiskey. 122 proof, really, really nice. Everybody I give it to kind of receives it well. And the bad thing about this is it was her barrel pick. So what I have remaining in this bottle is all that's left. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it's coming to an end. We're going to RIP this bottle soon. So, (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I love about your podcast, man, is that that all of you guys come – like when I first first heard about your podcast, when I first started listening to your podcast – my instinct was, okay, these are a bunch of brothers who are just going to sit around and get drunk and then tell stories. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Right. But then as I listened and as I listened to, you know, the other episodes you have, I said, no, these dudes really know and like their bourbon. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, they have they have their favorites, you know, you, you're particular. Uh, I listened to uh, the number four you put on the day. You got a little vulgar when you got started talking about I did. I did. And it kind of, it kind of, but you know, that's, that's the funny thing about, um, I guess the podcast and who we are. Uh, we kind of, I guess, embrace our insecurities, really. I mean, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to curse on the podcast and they did call me out on it. We try to keep it PG, but I think what we were talking about at that time was the E.H. Taylor, you know, and, um, you know, when, when we went to Kentucky and I don't know if you've seen the documentary neat, have you seen that yet? No. Yeah. So if, if you get a chance to go on Hulu, that's a really good documentary. And, and you can rewatch it again, because in the world of bourbon, the more you learn about it, the more you appreciate it. And every time you watch that documentary, it's something new. So with, with that story, when, when we went there, we met Freddie Johnson, who's one of the central characters to Buffalo Trace. And his family has a long history working there. Like his grandfather was friends with Elmer T. Lee. His father was friends with... Um, was it was it Blanton? One one of the two. I may have them reversed, but you have to see the documentary just to just to keep me honest. But anyway, so when we went there, the circumstances that led us to meeting Freddie Johnson kind of fell into place throughout the day that put us where we were supposed to be. Right. That's another reason we like Buffalo Trace, because that whole day we had issues. We arrived late to our start time. So we got to about an hour late where we pulled into the parking lot. We pulled into the parking lot near the employee section. So when we bail out of a, imagine six big brothers bailing out of an expedition, right? Okay, that in itself in Kentucky is funny. But to hear when you bail out of that that truck and you're all mulling around trying to find the entrance, you hear a voice say, hey, where you guys going? And we look around and it's Freddie Johnson. And we're like, you know how you would be. You're like, oh, like outside the club yeah. and you see your favorite hip hop artist. You're like, oh, shit, Freddie. So we've got video of us mobbing him and him just laughing about it. And we're meeting him and we're just in awe that we're meeting the guy we wanted to see there more than anything else. The bottles, the processes. Awesome. Yes. And then and he said to us, if you, if you were on time. Correct. And that's what we said. <laughs> and he told us he was like, you could park up there. And our my cousin Bill was like, yeah, yeah, we know that. But we just parked here. And I said to him, I said, well, if we'd have parked up there, we wouldn't have met you. And his classic line we'll never forget was, there's a power greater than us. And we were like, there's a power greater than us. We were supposed to be here at this time. And then we walked up with him to the front door and he's talking to us just like we've been longtime friends, Uh you know. So so the world of bourbon is like that. And 
I mean, when we were talking about that E.H. Taylor, for us, trying to find a unicorn bottle like that, like an 18-year marriage or Amethyst mm-hmm. Grain of the Gods, that's something mm-hmm. you want to find. And my excitement at them telling me, you know, like, <laughs> oh, you wouldn't drink that whole bottle. I'd be like, yeah, we would kill that whole bottle. Because he says in there, like, when you watch the documentary, I mean, it's a family. Everybody there in Kentucky's family, which is really weird. I didn't know how we were going to be received. You know, again, six big black dudes in the middle of right. Kentucky where, you know, minimum, minimum viewership. Mm-hmm. He cracked a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle with his father and his brother. And he went to recork the bottle, like to recork it and sit it aside. And his father said to him, what are you doing? He was like, I'm going to save this for another time, another toast. And his dad said, and this, I took this to heart. This is how we drink our bottles when we're together. He said, Good bottles will come and go, but family, that's the fragile part. Mm -hmm. We might not be here. And he lost both of them within nine months after that sitting. Oh, man. Right. So it's one of those, it's one of those instances, like you find a good bottle when you're with your friends, when you're with your family, when you're with your boys, you're hanging out with your brother, you do your best to kill that bottle and honor what you're doing at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, if you look at things like this going on nowadays, some people would wish they could have said something to someone that they can't say again. You know what I mean? It's Tell just crazy. It. Yeah. 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 Tell me about it. And and we don't and we and we really don't know. I mean, we like to be optimistic, but we really don't know what the future holds. I mean, it's this 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 COVID thing is kind of like I don't know, it's 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 shaking us up a bit, but mm. it's also at the same time, I think it also had us like we kind of draw back and try to say, Hey, look, these are some of the things that are really important to me. So, right. Um, you know, okay, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen, but okay, I got my family, I got my people. Um, and you know, everything else other than that is we're, we're, we're human beings. We're going to adjust. Right. Yeah. We're going to adjust to whatever we have. It know? took me a long time to get to the point where, where things used to stress me out and upset me, but I always live by the mantra, no matter how bad I have it, someone has it worse than me. Yeah. You oh, know? Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make my day any less brighter when something mm-hmm. bad is going on. Cause I know at five o'clock or whenever time my schedule ends, that's when my day stops. You know, somebody's mm-hmm. still out there grinding Somebody still got something going on. Somebody still got more yeah. problems worse than mine. So, yeah, I just pour one up, relax, and it, exactly. That's a good yep. way to think about it. Well, thanks for joining. Let's uh, let's raise it up. Cheers. Let's raise Cheers. It up. Ching ching. Ching ching. Thank you for having me. When did this? Uh, when did this? Uh, when did this start for you? When did when did bourbon? Well, when did drinking start for you? Because I know, for me, when I was younger, uh, everybody uh, who I grew up with uh, smoked weed. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I wasn't a smoker. I didn't want to smoke. Yeah. But that, I saw these bottles of Bacardi sitting on the thing and I says, Okay, well since all of y'all are smoking, I'll go ahead and start drinking this this liquor here. Yeah. And I became the guy that could drink liquor instead of smoking. Well well, drinking for me started um you know, at a young age with your peers, you know, sipping a beer here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, b- back in the day down south they'd be like private stock if you remember those little like green grenades. Uh-huh. You ever seen those? I mean, I, yes. I don't know where you're from. I, like, I looked at your Instagram, so I'm guessing like New York area. I'm, yeah, I'm born, I'm born and raised in New York, but I know what okay. you're talking about. Okay, uh, yeah. So, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm a military guy too. I was, I, I did, uh, I did some time in the Marine Corps, and I spent my time in the South. So I yeah. know, I know. Yeah. I know so, so it started there with the beer, and then when I went in the Air Force, you know, traveling around, it was a lot of Hennessy. So we would drink Hennessy yeah. there. So the bourbon, the bourbon is new to me. Like I, you know, we we um, touch on in the podcast, like what we were first introduced with. So like I started with Basil Hayden like a mid proof bourbon and, you know, talking with Delvin and my cousin, you know, Delvin higher proof bourbon, he likes hundred proof bourbons. So that's kind of new to me having it neat. And, and now we try to drink those neat around the hundred proof. Cause you get a little bit more. Um, I can't say I pick up all the flavors, like say a Fred Minnick, like his palate is at a certain level. 
Right. And, yeah. and he's practiced that over years. What I mainly get from most of the bourbons um, is like the flavor of caramel, a little cinnamon, stuff like that. But yeah. so with bourbon, it's been fairly recent for me. I would say maybe in the last year, you know, mm-hmm. um, March was the serious kickoff with going to the distillery and actually acquiring mm-hmm. bo- bottles and um, trying to get that ready. But before that, it was just the article I pitched to Bourbon Zeppelin to, to the editor, Steve Ackley. And he said, yeah, you know, write that and we'll, we'll publish you. And he gave me two options. Um, one was the like a e-zine and the other one was like the publication that's, you know, with a mandatory set date. And that's what kept me honest. Like I have a, a deadline I have to meet every know, month where yeah. it's got to be submitted. And that keeps me honest where yeah. I'm doing my research. You know, I'm writing articles about what I think people would want to read. And, and that's how it is. But so with the bourbon, it's been like, I would say the last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I guess I think for me, it was, I guess, I guess around the same, I guess around the same time frame. Like when I started, I guess if I have a go-to bourbon, it's probably going to be a bullet. Mm-hmm. A bullet for me is probably going to be a go-to, but I'm at a point right now where I really, I really don't want anything that I've had before. Oh really? There's so there's so much there's so much available. There's so many things out there. Yeah. I don't I, I almost don't want to get stuck like when I decide I'm going to take a, a a trip to a to a place. I really don't want to come back with anything that I've had before. Oh my god. I came you back know? from this trip with more bottles than I started with. I don't know if you saw our Instagram post where I put up my travel pack. Uh, I think the only the only bottle I finished was the old Grandad 114 and when we okay. drove down I stopped at um A Smith Bowman Distillery in Fredericksburg. And I picked up some of their single barrel, their John J. Bowman and, okay. and our little research because the, the Buffalo Trace, the Sazerac company, their, their umbrella company who owns Buffalo, Buffalo Trace Distillery, they own this distillery as well. And we theorize, wow. we've seen some rumors that the, the John J. Bowman single barrel is kind of the same flavor profile as Blanton's. So I picked up a few okay. bottles of that because I can't get it here. You know, I can find the small batch or their port barrel finish, but mm-hmm. not the single barrel. So I got a few bottles of that, but came back with okay. way too much. I have to tailor. I got to trickle back a little bit because I've got too many <laughs> bottles right now. You know, <laughs> in, in reading your profile, you're a, you're a you're a former military guy, right? In the Air Force. Yeah, I was in the Air Force. I was 10 years in the Air Force. OK, but that good time, bad time. Waste of time. What? No, it was great. I loved it. I loved it. But for but for me and um a few of my colleagues from that time that I still keep in touch with, you know, the Air Force promotions were kind of slow for us. And okay. I, oh, I got a little feedback. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but so the promotion was kind of slow. So, um, at the 10 year point, um, I kind of, uh, they, I don't know if the Marine Corps had something like this, but for us, it was called high year tenure. We've spent so much time in a ranking grade, um, mm-hmm. and you've exhausted all promotion opportunities. It's kind of like, you know, okay, you're done. You know, part ways, oh, okay. no, part no, ways, no. right, amicably and, you know, honorable discharge and then other opportunities. But so my, my career field kind of uh, allowed me to be able to flourish when I left the military. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a great time for me. I met some great people I still keep in touch with to this day. I look back on the service like it was fun times. It was great. I, I wouldn't change a thing at all. Nice, nice. As, um, well, oh, man, I had a question. I was just I was just getting ready to ask you. So so when it came, when it came time for you when it came time for you to leave, mm-hmm. where I mean where did you I don't know what's that was what that was that transition hard going from from military back to civilian life? I, I only did four years when I went when I went to the military. I tried to uh, 
I tried to change, uh, I yeah. change the field that I was in. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't get into the field that I was in. I had to like sign up for like another like 10 years or something like that. Oh, and you still w- wouldn't, and still wouldn't, uh, gotten a guarantee what, to get into the field that I was in. What field were you in initially and what were you trying to get to? I was initially an electrician. Okay. And I wanted to get into, uh, uh, embarkation and logistics. Oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, and so it was a thing where I had to sign a certain contract and that contract had to be of a certain length right. so that I can do the school and then they couldn't guarantee me a spot. So I would have to basically sign a longer contract yeah, and that's, not guarantee the spot. And I was like, ah, yeah, that's know. never good. That loophole is never yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And I, I lost, I lost momentum for it, but I'm glad, I'm glad I did it. I'm yeah. glad I did it. And I'm a, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proud, I'm one of these rare, it seems like it's rare, like proud black Americans. Really? It's almost, uh, and it just, just seems uh, like not the thing to be. To be no, no, no. I mean, sometimes. no, the the pride aspect of it is hard. But before I answer your question, the pride aspect of it is hard. But I carry that pride proudly because all the people in my family served in the military yeah. and we served with with no reservations. You know, that's just something we mm-hmm. did. It's not something that they said, oh, you have to serve in the military. We all kind of just gravitated towards that path. You know what I mean? I mean, my uncles were in the Marines, Navy, Army. And we we covered all branches. The only thing we missed was Coast Guard, basically. But to answer your question, the transition wasn't hard for me. I mean, when you leave the military, you notice the difference in civilians versus as when you lived in the military. You know, you notice that difference. And that's probably still I've been out since um, the end of 98, the beginning of 99. And you still notice that difference. You know, there's like little small nuances. I'm sure you notice as well, you know, that people do. That you can tell, like, oh, they weren't in the military, or they never served in a community that was yeah. in the military, you know. But that's yeah. that's the only thing. It was a simple transition for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those people. I I, I tend to believe that uh, one of the things that we need. I think we'd be better served if we some had some form of I don't want to say mandatory military service. Yeah. But if everybody had to do two years, I think we'd have this collective narrative almost. Yeah. Of uh, like we don't have the same thing to talk about. We'd have a shared basis. Yeah. We had a shared base. We had a right. shared experience. Yeah. That we could all say that we were a part of, and we can start off from there. When I was when I was stationed, um, not to cut you off, when I was stationed in Italy, it was like that. So I played um basketball with an Italian club for a while, and those kids had an obligation. They would either go in the military or they would serve in some kind of civil capacity. You know, be it a civil organization, but everybody had to yeah. give so we many years, right? And they all had that shared basis. Like it was mm-hmm. that civil service or if they were going to university. So those were the three choices. They had to give up something, you know, to the country, their community, blah, 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 et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I always thought. I I, I don't know. I think it would put us on a better, I think it would put us on a better path. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're, we're straying away. um, Are you guys going to focus solely on bourbons or are you guys going to maybe stray over into into some whiskeys or some scotches or are you going to keep it to bourbon? Yeah, that's a funny, that's a funny question. I'm glad you asked it right now. Um, it's weird because one, we didn't expect the followership that we're getting. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We figured, like, if you hear in the first episode when I said I thought it would be just five people who would listen to our podcast, and I thought that yeah. would be the three of us, and like maybe our significant others would say, "Oh, yeah, you're yeah. doing a, you're doing a thing." You know, we'll listen to it. Yeah. You know, like, I'll press play yeah, sarcastically, <laughs> yeah. So, so when we put up, when we put up that first episode. And when we checked again and we started getting like plays and plays and plays, I was like, dude, look at this. And then when Mm -hmm. people started following our Instagram and that was going up, I'm like, 
wait a minute, hold on. I said, now we have to be a little bit more responsible. <laughs> you know, we have to pay attention to the content we're putting out. So, you know, we're focused on, on bourbons right now. Um, we, we have a guest that we're trying to schedule, um, right now. I don't, I don't know if I want to give it up, but it's for, it's for kind of like a flavored whiskey, you know? Okay. And that's something that's outside our realm, but it's kind of refreshing that they would approach us to try to be on our podcast, which is weird. Okay. Like, like before we would try to tackle people and now they want to approach us and be on the show. And what I, I, you know, I noticed you smoke cigars. So, you know, about the Nat Sherman townhouse there in New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> so funny story is, um, the guy that runs that Michael Herklotz is from my town here in Connecticut. Wow. Yeah. His father, his father was a physician here. So he spoke at my son's graduation. He comes around the time. He's heavy in our community. So I approached him on Instagram. It's like, yo, Hey, Mike, you know, what's up? You know, you drink bourbon. Would you like to be on a podcast? You know, okay. expecting nothing of it. You know, sometimes you got to shoot your shot. You know, like yeah. you see that girl in the club, you got to shoot your shot. You're already ready for you her to tell you that. no, but she might like, yeah, here's my number. Call me. You miss all the shots you don't take. Exactly. So he <laughs> hit, he hit me back just the other day. He was like, yeah, I'd like to do it, but can we touch base next week? You know, I'm, my schedule's kind of tight. I'm like, cool. I'm on vacation, but it's like that because, you know, we have to, we have to branch out. I mean, bourbon was our focus. But now um, there's more out there. You know, I, I won't close the door on anything. And I think you can learn a lot with everything. Right. But you have to try it at least. Right. I mean, I tried some. What did my friend give me? He gave me some. I, I'm probably going to butcher this, but he gave me some La Prague, La Prague, um, La Prague yeah. Scottish mm-hmm. whiskey. And, and at the time I tasted it, you know, it, it was heavy on the peat for me. But I mean, I understand why people enjoy it. You know, they might like that flavor yeah. profile. And I respect yeah. as in the same vein that they did the documentary Neat, they did one called Scotch by the same camp, the same crew. And and it was okay. enlightening to me with that process, the way they make that spirit as well. So it's right. something that could happen in the future for us if we branch out and go that route. I mean, it's not anything we rule out on the table. You know, we all sit together and we kick around ideas, the three of us, and we say, Hey, would this work? Do you think our followers would want to hear it? And we and ultimately now what's driving the content is what we think our followers want to hear. Like next Sunday, we're releasing um, in, in the other episodes. We did a what's cracking in the episode. But right. this time we're re- releasing a what's cracking all on its own. And we kind of like revamped the format where we, we did some stuff we kind of thought we would like to hear in a podcast. So it's a little different spin and we'll see if people like it. Nice, man. Yeah. Nice. You, you guys, you guys are going to do well. Uh, you guys are going to do well. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, it's nice listening yeah. to you. Cause you guys, number one, you, you, it, it's clear that you guys enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and it's also clear that you guys enjoy each other yep. as well. Yeah. I mean, your, your, your format and your, your, your introduction is bourbon. Yeah. It's basically you two guys, I mean, the, the three of you guys just talking about, about, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks and, uh, and enjoying yourselves and having a good time. Yeah, it was oh, funny. by the way, I, I ran into this uh, bottle that I, right. that I owe. And then we kind of threw in, we've threw, thrown in a new thing like, um, you know, like the bourbon has a nose, but we like to say the bourbon has an ear. So we do the hashtag bourbon sounds like. So now we kick it up, you know, what what the bourbon sounds like. And I have to tell a story, too, because when, when you say it's the three of us, um, again, alluding to that Kentucky trip. Like like when when your cousin tells you, oh, yeah, there's this NFL player that I play golf with. There's a member of my <laughs> a member of my golf club. And you're thinking. Oh, great. NFL dude. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be one kind of way. So when I first met, when I first met Delvin, it's pretty funny. Like he's the type of dude who's just like, you know, he, he's just 
cool right off the bat. You know, you meet that person and you, you're like fast friends, but you're like, yeah. is this dude genuine? Is he really this cool? Or, but he was like that out the gate. And I was yeah. like, where's the NFL player dude he was talking about? Cause you expect him to be like, you know, I played in the NFL. I'm this yeah. type of way, whatever down to earth. 100%. I mean, when we come on the two bros podcast, you'll see. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, you could fill it out not to be like, Oh, try to hype him up or anything. Like, that. like he was just a cool dude. We hit it off the bat. And for three days, we just, just kicked around the notion of this venture we're in right now. And would yeah. it work? You know, we knew we had like a good idea, but would everybody think it was a good idea? Yeah. You know, that's that the big thing. Great, yeah. That sounds great. You uh, you just, you recently came back for, uh, off of vacation. Yeah. We just got back today. We just, we just drove through the city today. That was a bear. <laughs> yeah. You, you can imagine you, you've been on 95 going through the city. <laughs> So you need to rest from your vacation. Exactly. Yeah. We came back and it's just like, I've just been decompressing from being on the road. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was it, you, I'm hoping you enjoyed yourself on your vacation. Was it oh, a good time? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. We went, we went down to celebrate, um, my wife's sister-in-law just graduated medical school. So yeah, she took her last board. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'll pass that on. Yeah. She just took her last board. She's been studying hard for for like the past four and a half years, you know, and it was just time to relax, hang out. You know, the family got together and just sat around, didn't do anything, had some drinks, had some food for a week inside because of COVID. You know, we just posted posted up in the condo, didn't go anywhere. You know, that was it. What um and they are and they are in uh, and they're in down south. Are they like reacting differently to uh to COVID than, uh, than the area where you live? Yeah. Yeah. I can only, I can only speak from what I saw. Okay. I can't mm-hmm. say, you know, what they're doing per se, because I'm not there nine to five. But what I saw was some people wearing masks, some people, you know, being socially cautious, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and others just like normal operation, you know, like nothing's going yeah. on. Like this is not a big deal. And we we were operating on the cautious side, you know, wearing our mask when we we're out, when we have to go get groceries or whatever, you know. But, um, yeah, man, I hear here where we're at in New England, we were kind of like following the guidelines, doing what they suggested just to be safe. But you now with the numbers you see every day, like numbers slowly trending back up, you know, everybody wasn't on that same page. So, yeah, yeah it's. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Something tells me that a lot of this will change in November. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't know what the driving forces are. I mean, I work in the I work in the medical industry for my nine to five. So uh-huh. um, at the inception of this and during and even now, I've been in the middle of it. Right, I see it firsthand. Like the okay. changes they've made. You know, I hear the stories about um, the casualties that are going on and stuff like that. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a spin on numbers. I can't theorize if it's a conspiracy. Like some people are saying, all I know is um, for my well-being and for my family's well-being, I have to take the necessary precautions because I don't want to be the one that says, hey, I didn't do this. And then someone suffers because of, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's just so weird because you hear like you you, like our feet are in the our feet are in the concrete about one thing. Mm. And then as soon as that concrete sets we hear the validation for something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I've, I've, it's, it's like swayed so far on both sides. that it's just, I, I mean, maybe the problem is just listening to all of this crap, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's part of it. I try to divorce myself from the news and the media in general. Cause I'm, yeah. uh, um, 
with with studying communication and and that way, I mean, a lot of times they tell you like if it bleeds, it leads. So the news is trying to get yeah. a certain reaction from you anyway. Yeah. So I I tend to get more of my information offline from like regular people like us, like on Twitter, like in local conditions, you know, yeah. people posting stuff from where they're actually at, you know, hashtag from Tokyo earthquake or something like that. Someone that's actually yeah. there. So, um, I, I take it with a grain of salt. Oh, I, I heard that poor. I love it. I love did, it. Yes. I heard that. <laughs> Never stop. Yes, sir. Never stop. But I usually take, usually take yours me. Yeah. Early, early on, I would, um, I was making the big bricks, the big brick ice cubes or the spheres. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I was doing higher proof bourbon with that and watering it down. And when we went to Kentucky, we went to Bourbon 30, Georgetown, Kentucky. Great little okay. craft brewer. And that guy told us Jeff Mattingly is his name. And his family's got one of the second oldest licenses to make bourbon in the state of Kentucky. That's the second oldest license to make bourbon. Fun fact. Jeff Mattingly, Bourbon 30. I, I've got two of his bottles on my shelf right now. I refuse to open them because I don't know when I'll get back to get them again. They're, <laughs> they're that good. I mean, I don't know if I should tell this, but when we went there and we did our tour, my cousin met him on his previous trip. So we set it up on this trip. So we got to go in with the Whiskey Thief, pool barrels, taste barrels. He let us taste his white dog, which is the basically the corn liquor. It tasted like water. It was okay. so pure and good. But... This guy's, I, I, he's a genius, the, the bourbons he made, you know, so I, it, it's, it's just unreal. So I try to have it neat. You know, I don't, I don't water it down too much anymore because he suggested uh -huh. putting a chip in it, tasting it, you know, 15 seconds, taste it again, because it's going to change over time. So recently yeah. I watch, um, Marianne, Marianne Eves. I think that's her last name. She used to be at, um, where was she was at Castle and Key before she left there. Now she's okay. working with uh, the Peyton Manning group during their um, doing their bourbon. OK, what's okay. what's what's the name of it? Anyway, she suggested like wine. You pour you pour your bourbon and let it breathe for like 30 minutes and that'll open it up and it'll change the profile and the flavor. And it's weird. I try it. So I poured this up about a half an hour before we came in studio okay, and just let it sit there and breathe. And like when you spin it with the legs and everything, you'll see the legs develop and it, it, mm -hmm. it changes the flavor and the fragrance. But and I yeah, still, I got to admit, I, I, yeah, I got to admit, like when you, when you get into it, it's yeah. Little, yeah, it changes the flavor profile a little bit. Who, who was it? Was it you on, I, I think it was the last episode of your podcast mm -hmm. or maybe it was episode two. Somebody's talked about, they opened a, they opened a bourbon. Mm-hmm. Let it breathe, and they would swear that they saw smoke coming out of the. Uh, the, the that was the, that was me. That that was yeah. a Russell single barrel I opened. Yeah, I have a picture of it. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to your email. I'll show you the picture. So I bought this single barrel at well here here in New England. Total Wine sells liquors, and and like when we talked about on episode four, you go on the hunt and you'll see a you'll see something and you won't know what it is. So you're taking a chance. Mm -hmm. And I had had Russell's Reserve with my cousin. And I saw this Russell's Reserve. Um, it was a barrel pick. I think it was a special barrel pick. I'd have to I'd have to read the the bottle. But when I brought it home, and I went to open it, I popped it, and smoke, literal smoke, came out of the bottle. And I turned to my wife. I said, "Did you see that?" She was like, "Yeah. What What the hell was that?" You know. And I was like, "Smoke just came out of the bottle." And I don't know. I don't, it wasn't a figure of imagination because I took a picture uh -huh. of it right after it was still smoke coming up out of the bottle. It amazed me because I didn't know that could happen. Right. right. And I'm like, for them to capture that had to be dope. And it's really good. I mean, it's 110 proof, but okay. it's a good bourbon. 
And I don't know if you can find it everywhere, but I was lucky enough. And, you know, I have so many bottles like me and my me and my boy from the Air Force, Joe, you, he'll be on one of our one of our podcasts. Well, he doesn't know it yet. I, maybe I just outed it. <laughs> but anyway, we were doing a bottle count one night and I was like, yeah, I think I got about maybe 14 bottles. He was like, yeah, I'm about that. But after we got off the phone, I counted him up. I was like 30 bottles in. I said, dude, this is getting out of control. But during the hunt, if you go and see something you want, you pick it up, especially if it's a reasonable up, price. Yeah. yeah, you pick it because you can't go wrong. Like we say, if it's something you don't like, you can make cocktails with it. So it's not a mistake. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong with it. You know, it's no bad picks. I like that. It's something you don't like. You can make cocktails. Mm hmm. I like it because I got a couple things that I didn't like. Yeah. The only can, only thing you can't salvage is a bad relationship. That's it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about that. I've been <laughs> down that road. Some of those you got to like, ooh. Yeah, man. Gotta, like, it's crazy. They got to wear off you. They got to wear off you. So now, so in, 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 in your own like bourbon journey, I know mm. you talked about this in your, uh, on your podcast. Is, is there a goal or is it just, or are you just, you just going to keep plugging along? You're just going to keep, Keep discovering, keep finding out, keep finding out more things, keep expanding the palette, keep, keep looking for, for, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that, that white whale, so to speak. A- absolutely. I think, I think the only way to, to understand what's going on because, okay, the process is going to keep changing, right? Distillers are going to keep making what yeah. they consider to be dope products. And, I mean, you're always going to be out there trying to find that next flavor. I mean, I'm nowhere near an expert. I mean, you spend time watching videos of tastings and recommendations and you listen to other podcasts. I mean, by, by all means, I mean, you listen to podcasts like bourbon pursuit, you know, you listen mm-hmm. to Fred Minnick when he's tasting and how he's recommended tasting or how to, yeah. how to look at the coloration of the bourbon, how to taste it properly, how you want to swish it around in your mouth, get the flavor. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I, for me, and I can't speak for the guys, you know, but for me, it's always trying to improve and learn more. So, I mean, within my means, I'd like to keep purchasing bourbon, trying stuff, find that one lane you like. Like I, I said in the last podcast, I want to get the whole family of E.H. Taylor. That might be a, a, a bit aggressive or beyond my reach, but, you know, that's the goal I set for myself to try to get those bottles. I mean, I've got the small batch. I got the single barrel. Uh-huh. You know, I give Delvin a hard time about opening bottles, but, you know, will I ever crack those? It'd have to be it would have to be in the right presence of people. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, once you open it, you don't want to put the cork back in something like that. You know, a single barrel of that magnitude. You know, you want to drink that with people who are like, wow, this is a really good bottle. Like when I was down last time when he opened his uh, Elmer T. Lee. And he shared that with us. You know, we let him get away with it. But I mean, he corked it and took it with him. But, you know, he let us he shared it with us. Right. He he yeah. didn't intend to open that. So for 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 me, from my perspective, yeah, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep searching. You know, I'm going to keep looking for those bottles. I mean, right now, what I'm still hunting is that Weller 107. I mean, I have a mm-hmm. bottle, but you always want another bottle. I don't know. Have you had the Weller 107? I have had the Weller 107. So you know how that flavor is. Yes. How yes. smooth it is. It's smooth. Yes. It's almost. It's it's it almost. What's the word I'm trying to look for? It almost like um. It's like it seeps under the door, type thing. Like it doesn't. It doesn't kick the door open. Right. It doesn't knock on the door. It's kind of like it like seeps through the underside of the door and then it's there and then you you know before you know it you're on your you're on your second pour. You're definitely right. It, it walks know? in. It walks in real quiet and stands there it until you recognize real quiet it. Yeah. And it's been yeah. There and then you were like, oh, my God, you've been here the whole time. Exactly. So with, with that being said, with that 107, like I have a bottle of Weller Special Reserve I haven't even opened yet. 
because I'm so afraid of that one because I like the antique so much. And people are like, oh, then you got to have the special reserve. I'm like, I have it, but I'm not opening it yet. You know, so so in that regard, I'm looking for those two bottles to complement the two bottles I have. Uh And and I'm also looking, you know, in my spots for the E.H. Taylor, you know, so the E.H. Taylor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the E.H. Taylor has a family. I mean, they've got this the, the single barrel, small batch. They got the 18 year marriage, the Amaranth grain of the gods, you know, for I think they have the four grain. Um, yeah, they have so many, you know. Does your, uh, does your, um, does your wife uh, drink bourbon as well? She drinks, uh, cocktails. Like, okay. so, so she didn't at first. And, and this is a funny story about the Putnam. This is how I bought the Putnam. So we went to a tasting, um, to, to Irene's, to her store. The Irene Tan is the one I told you about who does the bottle picks. Mm-hmm. She picked this barrel of this Putnam. So we just happened to be in there one day. You know, I go around to certain spots just to see what they have in their inventory, hopefully get lucky, buy something. Um, and they were they had this bottle open and they were doing the tasting. So we got two pours. I handed one to my wife. I had one and she doesn't do bourbon neat. And keep in mind, this is 122 proof. She okay. tasted it and she was like, "Ooh, this is good. So then I tasted it and I was like, oh, you're right. I was like, you like this? She was like, yeah, she doesn't like bourbon neat. I said, OK. Let me get two bottles. I got it right. I bought two bottles. I sent one to my cousin, you know, because, you know, I know he appreciates a rye because ryes are like hit or miss. You know, they're peppery. They're spicy. Yeah. This one is well balanced. And at 122 proof, that's kind of hard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can drink it neat. But the first time we had it, we put it over a big block ice cube, let it mellow out. And it was even better. If you can imagine that. So this came on her recommendation because she liked it neat. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. And okay. until this bottle goes out, it's it's gonna do work. My wife. All the bourbon is all the bourbon is mine. My wife doesn't drink bourbon. Really? You're lucky. You're lucky. She, yeah, it's all yeah. mine. And and I'm fortunate enough to know that she knows like what I like, and she knows that I'm hunting stuff. Yep. So she'll every once in a while she'll come home with something, and she'll say, "Hey, have you had uh, this?" Right. I'm like, "Well, no, I haven't, but thank you very much for uh, for." But me. Yeah, now I get calls from the liquor store or I'll get a quick FaceTime and she'll be like, hey, have you have you seen this bottle? Do you want this bottle? I'm like, cool. You know, that that's worked out like oh, the Elijah yeah. Um, on my Instagram a few months ago. We had the bottle of the Elijah Craig barrel pick. OK, that's another barrel pick that Irene picked. And it was it was reasonably priced. I think it was retailing. She was selling it for thirty five dollars. So I bought <clears throat> at the end of. At the end of podcast episode two, we used a beat from um, Knott's Raw. He's a producer who's produced like Busta Rhymes and all this stuff. Okay. So I bought one of his EPs. And like I said, if you never ask, you'll never know. So I reached out to him on Instagram and be like, yo, fam, I brought your EP. Can I use one of your songs for our outro on our, our podcast? He was like, cool, go for it. I said, okay, I'll send you a bottle of bourbon. So oh. I sent him a bottle of Elijah Craig. You know, that's that's the best price you can get, right? Uh-huh. So I sent him a bottle of Elijah Craig and the day before we had like killed one at a barbecue. I opened it up. I was talking to some friends about the podcast and, you know, they drank Hennessy and, you know, we're trying to convert brothers over from Hennessy yeah, just yeah, to let yeah. them know there's something else out there. Right. Yeah. So we drank that bottle sitting at the barbecue talking about, you know, bourbon, Hennessy, real estate, stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. emptied it out. And that was a really good thirty five dollar bourbon. Elijah Craig. You know, barrel. You can't pain. miss with Elijah Craig. You cannot miss. You can't miss. And I was, I was, I was happy with it. You know, I, it was, it was really good for me. And normally, like I wouldn't have known about it unless you know it was barrel picked by her. So sometimes mm-hmm. you fall into something lucky like that. 
Can you can you fall into and when I say you, I don't mean you specifically. Yep. Can 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 you get into this uh, into like into this realm in which you're trying to just get too much information and you're just like not paying attention to well, do you like this bourbon? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. So yeah, like even in, even in this last episode, we suggested like before somebody goes out there and just spends a grip of change, you know, hit up a bar, hit up somewhere yeah. where you can taste some of this stuff. Then it's going to be like yeah. a low investment. I was, you know, I never heard. I thought that was fantastic advice, though. I've never like me too said, but oh, my God, that makes such perfect sense. Exactly. And that's one of those light bulb moments. You're like, you yeah. never thought of it. Like, like it never that's hit how, you like that. That's how I got my first taste of Pappy Van Winkles. Yes. Yes. At a bar. Yep. And I got it for free. Yep. See, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I it went to those weird. It was one of those weird moments where it's like he had a bottle. It was uh it was uh, uh, he, he had he had made a pour and he had a little bit left and I knew yep. the bartender. Yeah. And I said, bro, you're not going to leave that in the. You're not going to leave that there, are you? Yeah. And he pulls out a glass. He just pours it out for me and just says, uh, enjoy it. See, and that's a story. We were. And, and that's all it took. Like, oh yeah. My God. Yeah. And then you know, and then basically, I, I mean, I don't know if you knew. Like we get into it in the podcast how how Pappy Van Winkle and Weller kind of share the same lineage, you know, and they go yeah. through that taste testing. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things, but you know, like you say, we were, we were out one day for brunch, my wife and I, and we just happened to stop at this bar. Like we had always wanted to go to because, um, on the golf course, I had met one of the, the brewers at this kind of like gastro pub. So we go in one day for brunch and as I'm, you know, it's kind of hard to find Blanton's in certain areas. You know, you have to, you know, know someone or, Maybe you go in and you get a bottle every now and then. So we walk in this bar and this cat's got 19 bottles of Blanton's up on the shelf. And I'm like, dude, how do you have 19 bottles of Blanton's when nobody can find Blanton's anywhere else? He's like, oh, we have a bottle program. People buy their bottles and bring them here. So when they come in, you know, we pour it up for them. I was like, that's amazing. He was like, no, you want to try some stuff? And it started just like that. So he let me taste a 36-year-old Irish whiskey. And I'm like... What do these shots go for? He's like 500 bucks. So I tasted that. I tasted a um, a tequila that tasted like Chardonnay wine. I'm sure you've seen the tequilas maybe in the, in the white hand, hand porcelain painted bottles, yes. with like the silver yes. top. Yes. It tastes like Chardonnay. No yes. bite. I was like, dude, where's this been all my life? He said, yeah, that's mm-hmm. about 200 bucks a bottle. I said, okay, that's yes, why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's why. Uh, yes. Yeah. I saw that. I, I remember going my... Brother actually had a friend who was, I think he was a rep for that for that company. Yeah, and he just and he and I think they had an issue with distribution in this region. Yeah, absolutely. For whatever reason, I you know what it is, I don't know. So he was just handing out bottles, and he handed he handed my brother a bottle. And so one night, my brother and I were hanging out and says, "Hey, my friend gave me this uh, thing of tequila. Yep, uh, let's try it. It's okay. So we tried it. I thought it was thought it was wonderful." You know, he told me the story. Yep. You know, apparently it's this, you know, tequila that nobody wants. And so he didn't know what to do with it. And so he kind of, I don't know if the guy just didn't know how to do his job right or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things with with, with marketing, I think, because not a lot of people know about it. I mean, you've probably seen it somewhere, but didn't know what was in it. But I mean, the taste, if people could taste it, it would fly off shelves. It was not only was delicious, but then flash forward a year. My wife and I go on vacation in Mexico, mm. and what do I see? I see that bottle mm-hmm. there, and I asked the guy, "I said, hey, I like that. I like that tequila. You know, 
uh, could you, you know, can you quote me something? He says, no. <laughs> like, why? He said, this is an exclusive thing that only certain, you know, certain, uh, certain people who have ownership of this, of this resort. Wow. Can have uh, that tequila. I'm like, are you freaking serious? And he was, wow. he was serious. I actually, you know, did a good lip service and, yeah. and, and you know, talked a good game and, and I got some. Yeah, but it's like but that. It's... I then realized that this was, oh, wait, this, was, this wasn't just some off-the-shelf tequila that right. the dude couldn't sell. Yeah. This was a, this was a damn good off-the-shelf exclusive tequila. Right, exactly. This dude didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, when you look at that family of that brand, that, that uh, white bottle is kind of like the bottom shelf. They have one that's a black bottle, like black and gold. That one retails for almost a, a grand yes. or 2000 Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. So that, 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 that's the next question I want to ask you, because you guys touched on it on, uh, on the podcast you guys released today, and, and that's the price. Yep. Is there, a, is there a ridiculous price for a great bourbon? Like, is there a price that you will just basically, like, like let's say it's your perfect bourbon. Yeah. It is what you've been hunting for. You know, you're going you're gonna to sell, uh, sell your left kidney for it. But it comes at a certain price. Is there a price to which you say, "Not forget that"? It's not. It's not even. Yeah, I mean, work. yeah, I, I think we got into it a little bit. You know, um, I I can't speak for the other fellas, but they did set a price point of how high they would go for a bourbon. For me, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I mean, I would just yeah. say, "Yo, I missed out on it" because that's just ridiculous. You know, I've, I've turned away a Stag Junior for 150, and I mean, I just thought that was oh. nuts. But I did call my cousin to see if that was a crazy price because, of course, you know, uh, he paid that once before for that same bottle. But now you can get it for retail price. Like we've gotten it for like 40 or 50 bucks, you know, at the yeah. right location. But um, yeah, I would I wouldn't get overly crazy. I mean, I looked at you know I want to get a George Stag, and he sent me a picture the other day of a George Stag that was selling for like I think 500 bucks, and I just deleted the picture. I'm like, no, nah, nah, man, you know, if it's gonna fall in my lap at the right time, it'll fall into my lap at the right time at the right price. Yeah. So I I I just couldn't spend that much money, you know, just just me in general. I mean, somebody yeah. would, somebody may, you know, but mm, not this guy. Yeah. <laughs> And one thing I'm learning about bourbons is that is price doesn't necessarily dictate quality. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, That's I, true. I I grabbed a uh, a couple weeks ago. I grabbed a um uh, a Larceny bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised at the price point. The price point was like twenty six. Yep. Twenty seven bucks, and it was I, I loved it. It was absolutely delicious. Yep. And then when I and then when I hear the, the research on the story of Larceny. Uh, it got me even more intrigued. I'm, 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 are you familiar with the story? No, 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 no. Don't tell me. The Larceny Bourbon was basically started a, a guy named John Fitzgerald. Okay. He was a uh, he was a Treasury officer during the time of Prohibition. Okay. The Treasury officers in Prohibition, uh, whatever region they worked in, they would have the keys to distilleries mm. to inspect the distilleries. Okay. What he did was. He basically went into these distilleries and took the premier batches from these distilleries and then resold it. Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So he got he got gangster on the gangster, so to speak. Appropriately named too. <laughs> yes. And and yeah, and so and that ended up becoming and he called I forgot what he called it, but he called it something else and then they ended up changing it to to, to Larceny to sort of like come on like the fact that this was actually a treasury officer who was actually who was actually stealing uh, select bourbons. Wow. Um, and then so somebody 
tried to uh, duplicate it. So apparently, what what we're drinking now as Larceny Bourbon isn't mm-hmm. the same thing, but that's how that's how it started. Yeah, I mean, price. This treasury officer is stealing, uh, stealing uh, uh, premier batches from distilleries. Yeah, price. I don't think price. Price is no indication of how good a bourbon will be. Like no. we we walked into an ABC store, and we were looking for allocated bottles. And you always ask the the person working there, "Hey, you have any allocated bottles? You know, what do you have?" Because they they won't put a lot of stuff out. Like they'll say, "Oh, it'll find its way on the shelf," and you just have to find it. But the guy told us he's like, "Oh, I have this bottle of very old Barton." And we were like, okay, what's what's the price? He was like twelve dollars and seventy five cents. We were like, okay, price point you can't miss. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the theory holds if you don't like it, you got a cocktail bourbon. You period. Cocktail you can make some. Bourbon. You can make some banging old fashions because it was eighty proof. Whatever. Right. We took it with us. We cra- <laughs> we cracked it open and we hit it and we were like twelve dollars. It was a it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And we were like, this better not get out. So then I was then I was home. Yeah. I came back home because I was down in Charlotte. Came back home. Wife called me from the store. She's like, hey, they got this bottle, this bottle. I was like, okay, um, what else do I have? She's like, oh, well, they have, you know, she's showing me on the camera. She's like, oh, well, they have this one. I was like, yo, stop. How much is that very old Barton? So this was a 90 proof. So 10 proof up. And I think it was like 20 bucks. I was like, buy that one. Mm-hmm. drained it. That was, I mean, it was a good bourbon. Yeah. And and I don't yeah. think a lot of people know about it, you know, and you read about it and you find out, you know, some little nuance about it, where it came from or what distillery made it or what yeah. batch it was from. And I think um, we talked a little bit about it in, in episode four. And we talked to people on Instagram, like what's their go-to travel bourbon? Like I took that travel pack with me. I put all those bottles up where I was taking on vacation. Some person in the comments said benchmark eight. And we always like, oh, Benchmark 8, bah, it's a good starter bourbon. But what we found out, that's out of Buffalo Trace, right? It's in the same rack house as Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare. You know, the oh, way they okay. explain the way they explain the rack house is uh-huh. the, the ones at the top of the rack house where it's always hot are going to come out faster. That's where Benchmark okay. 8 sits. You know, the, the Buffalo Trace and the Eagle Rares are more in the middle of the rack house because the fluctuation in the temperature is going to give you more expansion and compression of the barrel. So you're going to get more seepage in and out of the barrel to give that flavor profile, the coloring, all that. Okay. So that's how the aging goes. So Benchmark 8 is going to come out quick, but they were like, oh yeah, I keep this in my house. All the time, you know, 80 proof bourbon, I think. And then you can give it to guests. They can have it neat or you can put it in a cocktail. Now they got a Buffalo Trace bourbon. It didn't kill your pockets. It's benchmark eight. And they got something out of Wu-Tang Distillery. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, dude, it's I genius. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is, dude, <laughs> when we came up with that, we were like, they got so many bottles, so many bottles. If you go on their page and look at it, yeah, man, I, we were like, yo, they are the Wu-Tang of the bourbon you industry. You got to make calls to Wu-Tang to have them sign yo, off. Yo, I would, I would, I, because we wanted to, we wanted to reach out to them to get some of their music in our podcast. Uh-huh. Like, like we have, we have stuff on the cutting room floor where we had Wu Tang music in our podcast. I was like, dudes, we're going to get sued for this. I said, we put this out. <laughs> I said, I don't have that kind of money. You know what I mean? I said, our uh-huh. LLC is not that tight. Right. But we'd love to reach out to them, man. If they would co-sign, we'd be like, I, I'd be like, my day is made. You know, Wu Tang is like my, my second favorite group to public enemy. That's, I mean, public enemy is it for me. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. Chuck, did you hear that Chuck D actually signed a uh, a deal to go back in the studio with Def Jam? Oh yeah, um, and I heard their new uh, "Fight the Power" remix. Have you heard that? 
I haven't heard the new one. <sighs> it's crazy. He's got he's got Nas on it. Black Thought is is bananas. Really? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's fire. It's fire. All right. I actually I, I got to catch up with my brother on that one. My brother's a little bit more in tune to, to to music than I am. Yo, I actually saw Chuck D at the airport in Newark one year. We were flying. Um, I think we were going to Puerto Rico, and Chuck was going out of the other gate. Him and his wife. And you know, when you see a celebrity, I don't like to geek out. You know what I mean? I like to act like yeah. I've been there before. Everybody's like, oh my God, it's Chuck D. I was like, that's Chuck. <laughs> you know, you got to play it cool. Then later yeah. on, you know. I met him a while ago. He's actually a cool dude. Yeah, he's, he's real cool people. He's a, he's a cool yeah. dude. I mean, he's one of the, you know, if you approach him right, and mm-hmm. he'll, you know, he, he'll give you 90 seconds and, and yeah. say what's up and stuff. You know? Yeah, Chuck's but a cool yeah, dude, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Chuck! Yeah, I think I bought every every album they put out with when I was in Germany when they first because Chuck when they came out in '86 uh, I was in college mm-hmm. in North Carolina and a homeboy of mine from Philadelphia introduced me to the group I'd never heard of them before you know I came from the West Coast my pops were stationed out out west I was a military brat so I came to college in North Carolina I met this brother he was like yo heard of Public Enemy I'm like nah the turn me on. He turned on, you know, that's when everybody had the boom boxes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, right yeah. right out on the quad. He threw out public enemy. I was like, I was done. You know what I mean? I was done. So when I hit the military, every album they came out with, I had it. Had it on CD. Had it. So that's like mm-hmm. that's like the group for me. You know what I mean? Oh man, yeah, I just dude. I just remember those days when you would all I mean, I, I don't know how old you are. I'm I'm fifty two. Yeah, I'm right there with you, brother. So, fifty two. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. I just remember those times where everybody would get together and listen to music. Yes. Like you always grab, yo, I got this, I got the latest <laughs> yep. Eric B and Rakim. Yep. You all go over somebody's house yep. and, and, and listen to it. It'd be music and bottles. That was it. Yeah, music and bottles. It. Yeah. So we've gravitated to the same area that we stayed in our lane all this time. Right. You know what I mean? So we've grown and expanded in this lane. Now it's like bottles and music. You know what I mean? We're trying to yeah. equate still our loves. We're still hanging on to that. Yeah. Yep. Do you do you not drink bourbon? Um, so yeah, sometimes. So today when we got back, I had an IPA. You know, I'd had a couple IPAs coming in off the road, but then I was getting prepared. I was pacing myself because um, I knew I was going to be in the studio with you, and I wanted to have a bourbon with you. Hopefully, you know, my wife Absolutely, was like, yeah. "Oh, why well, are you guys going to drink bourbon?" I was like, "I hope so." You know, but <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I'll drink um, IPAs. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. when my cut, co- my cousin's been kind of like the integral force to where I'm at in my drinking. Now, he introduced me to IPAs because we go on a yearly golf trip. Like me and him, 10 other dudes, we go out, golf, three, four days, hang out. And um, I was just drinking regular beer. You know, I'd have a Heineken or something like that. Whatever, whatever you got on bar, you know, I'll get that on draft. Right, my cousin, right. my cousin's drinking IPAs. I'm like, what's an IPA? He's like, man, you haven't had an IPA? I'm like, man, all beer is beer, dude. So when he started talking, you know, my cousin, like he says, he gets into something, he gets into it. So now we're philosophizing beer. We're talking hops. <laughs> and we you know we're talking hops, right? <laughs> we're talking grains. I was like, okay. So in the military, I was in, you know, testing measurement, kind of scientific exact measurement stuff. So I was like, okay, that's my lane. Let's talk about it. We talking about it. So then I started drinking the IPAs. Mm-hmm. There's different flavors, different hop levels, different percentages. It hits different, man. So then he turned me on to the bourbon. So, you know, now it's IPAs and bourbon. It's probably you probably have the same amount of diversity in uh, in beers and IPAs that you do in bourbons. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And and I don't know about you, but I just I just people go crazy with the IPAs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Some some I've are seen people just go. I've seen people like get into actual arguments. Oh yeah. Over over IPAs. Right. And I'm like, look, I just want something that tastes good. I'm really not. You, you know. <laughs> Don't 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 put me in the middle of your uh, of your argument of like this is like thirty percent or this is you know whatever Facts. or yeah. the grain is I'm like does it taste good all right then I'll give it a shot that's that's pretty I, I try to I, I don't know I try to keep my taste simple yeah you know and I try not to get too much involved into um, you know this came from this distillery and mm-hmm. this came from that I just and, you know I want to know if it tastes good and if I haven't tasted it before that's one of the things that I know I one of the things that I know is that there's like a vast the palate is huge. Yeah, yeah. It is tremendously wide. And if anybody tells you that they're an expert, I'm, I, I put a question mark next to it. I walk away. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Up, there's right. a lot of stuff out there, brother. So I'm, you know, you at like 60 years old telling me you drank everything. Right. All right. At the end of the day, it's what you like. You know what I'm saying? It's what is yeah. what you want to drink. You don't want to have somebody yeah. else say, "Oh, I like this, and you should like it too." That's not how Absolutely. this is. That's not how this gets down. But you know, we went to Kentucky. Like you can learn a lot on the distillery tour. I don't know if you've been to Kentucky. If you've done the distillery tour, no, I haven't. I haven't. You've got me. I've always wanted to go, and uh, and talking to you now, it's like one of those things where I got to get done. It, it's eye opening, and we want to go back. I mean, with our with our podcast, we're thinking of like going back during Derby season, or just going back down there and linking up with like so uh, the Black Bourbon Society and and there's other societies we want to kind of touch base with but the thing is you go to these distillery tours and everybody's telling you you know what they enter their barrel at, at barrel strength or cash strength is what they call it like everybody goes in like 125 proof and you go to distillery after distillery distillery you hear this and you're like oh my god another you know i'm going in at 125 what are you doing different so we went to michter's right and it's funny that mm-hmm. we always make a joke about how you say michter's because we were like mitchers and michiters so we asked the guy there we were like how do you say that he's like oh it's michter's like victors so then we're mispronouncing it on purpose because now we know it's michter's right so we go <laughs> so we're going we're going to their distillery tour so we're like oh yeah the corn you know 51 percent corn blah 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 and we're like God, when is this going to be over right so then he says but our difference is and we all perk up right he's like we go into the barrel at 103 proof and we're like what why so weak right this dude told us something that just shook us up like delvin's little tip if you want to find a bourbon go to a bar and taste it see if they have it right he said they go in at 103 because when they bottle it, you get less water and you get more bourbon for your buck. Don't you know? Yeah, because they don't okay. to get it to the proof they need it to be. They're not adding that much water. If somebody goes in at 125, they got to add a lot of water to get it to, say, like 90 or 100 proof. Okay. You know, the water down 103. You know, you got a few drops and you where you need to be. Dude, we were like this. Okay. We were looking at Mictors like, oh, these cats oh. are on to something. You know what I mean? <laughs> So if you've had the Michter Sour Mash, yo, that bourbon is unbelievable. It's it's a really good bourbon. Like I have a couple bottles of that and I have that every now and then when I want to like, mm-hmm. you know, sip something and enjoy the taste, the flavor. Because it's like, you know, they take that fermented batch from one and they use it to okay. start the next one. You know, that's why they call it Sour Mash, like the old process, like they make sourdough bread, the same principle. Right. It's a really nice bourbon. And I like yeah. this. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. So this American whiskey, I like this better than their bourbon. And they can't call this a bourbon because they put it in, um, they toast their barrels and then they soak the barrels before they put the bourbon in there. Okay. So that's the only difference. That's why they can't call it a bourbon. Charles, okay. Right, right, right. right. They, they do a process where they toast them. Okay. Yeah. You, have, you said you have like over what, like 30, 40 bottles, right? Yeah, somewhere roughly around there. 
Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Do you come home and do you say, man, it was this kind of day. I need a Michter's. Yep. I need uh, this. Yeah. 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 I do. And it's weird because, like, you know, you have so many, like you say, I think you say you don't like to drink the same thing, right? Okay. Yeah. So you come in and you be like, oh, I feel like a Widow Jane today, you know, or I feel like this. And, you know, Widow Jane is in New York, man. That's Widow Jane, I love Widow Jane. <sighs> Widow Jane and Hudson. I, I, I would yep. put those two up against any. Anybody. Against yeah. Any any flavor palette that, that you can come up with. Yep. And, and that's why I, I, I told people and that's why I was writing articles about, you know, bourbon in New England. It's craft. They're doing the American oak. You know, they're charring them. And they're making good bourbon, bourbons that you can't get anywhere else outside this region. And when I told my cousin about the Widow Jane, I was like, oh, yeah, it's made here in New York. You know, this this region is is interesting in how it it takes something that it didn't create. Yep. But it sort of says, "Okay, that's how you did it. All right. I'm going to I'm going to put a little twist on it. And you can put it in that same vein. Right. So. I guess what I'm saying is, 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 is like this, this region, like the New England region, the Atlantic region, like we, we look at things like, um, like bourbons, mm. like cigars, like barbecue, like barbecue is, is another example. Right. And they do it. So, okay, well, you know what? We didn't originate it. We didn't come up with it, but you know what? We see what you're doing. We're going to do the same thing, but we're going to put a little, we're going to put our little stank on it. Yep. And it ends up being, on the same on the same quality level, and, right. and I think Widow Jane's an example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably always have those purists who would say to you, "Oh, that's not bourbon," but you know, it is bourbon, and the criteria for bourbon is just you know, new charred American oak barrels. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's got to be made here in America. I mean, you can't make it in another country and right. say, "Oh, it's bourbon." Right? right? It's it's America's spirit. Bottom line. Right. But I got a, I got a friend who's uh, who's about to leave. His uh, his job was taken into Italy. Oh. And he's already given me a list of uh, bourbons he wants me to send him. Yeah, yeah. That he knows he's not going to get that. He'll get great food. He'll love the yeah, cuisine, okay. but yeah, he won't get good good bourbon. He won't be. Yeah. He won't get any good liquor. Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah, it's a bad thing. But I'm saying, like, so if if you respect um, the spirit, you would you would embrace what people are doing in other spots. Like yeah. we talk about, I think the fellows were talking about Woodenville that's made in uh, Washington State. And I mm-hmm. think they're making a rye and they really both like that. And I'm trying to find, you know, my way into a bottle because they gave it such high praise. I mean, I saw I saw a Washington State bourbon at one of my local spots here by by Dry Fly Distillery and I didn't okay. get it. It was a cash strength. And I'm, I'm going to go try to pick it up. Not this week, but probably next week, you know, what I'm saying? because the way my funds kind of happened over vacation, you know, what I came back yeah. with with too much bourbon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody is making bourbon which is i guess it's good and bad you know my most recent article i just submitted was about the trees because everybody's making so much bourbon you know you don't think about the byproduct of taking down all these trees to make these barrels and how we're going to replenish them right so you know in that one respect you you're looking at the sustainability of something we're taking away that we have to give back okay typical typical life of a tree 70 to 400 years but you know how many trees it goes in to make these barrels to for the bourbon you know for the stuff we enjoy so, um, you know, with them making the bourbon there, there's more demand for it, but you have to take that chance, right? Is the bourbon going to be good? It's only aged three years. How's it going to taste? It's a weeded bourbon. So now you're basing it against something like a Weller 107, 
you know, you're basing it maybe mm-hmm. against a maker's mark. I've never had maker's mark. You know, I have, I know friends who love it. You know, you never had maker's mark? I never had maker's mark, never okay. had it, but I would try it. I would go to a bar and try it to see if I like mm-hmm. it before I invest in the bottle, of course. But, um, yeah, I'll give this, I'll give this one a shot because the price point is nice. It's, it's not overly expensive. And I think like, like we said, if I don't like it, it's a cocktail bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's good for cocktails. Yeah, absolutely. Always good for cocktails. <laughs> 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 Mr. Colbert, I'm going to let you go, bro. I really appreciate you taking time out, uh, especially coming back from, uh, especially coming back from vacation. John, I appreciate I you having me on, man. I mean, um, I hope I answered your questions. I hope I did us justice. You know, I hope, I hope you want to have us back. Uh, you did you, you did yourself tremendous amount. I hope we can do this again, uh, just me and you. And uh, we will uh, try to connect uh, with your crew, and hopefully we'll get you on a, a Two Bros podcast. We could probably do that together. That should be a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. We'd like to have you on, too, to come in and talk about uh, cigars and bourbons, man. I think the people want to hear it, you know what I mean? Because those, those two go hand in hand down the path. They do, man. All the best to you and your family, man. I appreciate it. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. All right, my man. Peace. All right. Peace out. The plug for the save. Got to let you guys know I was having problems with this audio file. It wasn't sounding very good. Uh, But because Anthony Colbert himself has his podcast, he was recording this himself, gave me this file, and that's the reason why... Uh, you're able to listen to this great conversation. Thank you so much, Anthony, uh, for the same and for the great uh, conversation. Seems like you're doing it all, brother. Uh, Air Force veteran, urban savant. You got a Superman cape somewhere behind you. Guys, check out the Black and Brown podcast. You will not uh, be disappointed. You can find them everywhere you find your podcast. Most on Spotify, uh, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. Uh, they do it every two weeks, so uh, every two Sundays, you're going to hear a bunch of others talk about some bourbon and, and talk about their lives as well. It's a great conversation. It's a great Head on over to bibandtucker.com. Find out where you can get your Bib and Tucker bourbon. I have the six-year. You can also have the uh, 10-year and the 12-year. And if you're a bourbon drinker, you're not going to disappoint. And hopefully, you won't disappoint. Uh, so uh, hopefully, you'll come back next time. On another John's Lonely podcast. We appreciate you listening. Uh, and like uh, the plug said, peace.